And good morning, everybody. Welcome to FSU Coach Live. My name is Tim Baggers, joined this morning by Ann Davis. She's part of the United States Tennis Association. And thank you for joining me. If you wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit about your career path and what you're doing now. Okay, thanks for having me on, Tim. This is exciting. Uh, my name is Ann Davis. I'm currently the director of program education with the United States Tennis Association. Um, right now, currently in Tallahassee and uh, based in based out of Orlando. Um, I have, I'm a born and raised Floridian. Uh, played college tennis at the University of South Florida. I was fortunate enough to come to Florida State as, a, as the head women's tennis coach from 79 to 86. Um, once I left the FSU coaching, I got totally out of tennis and then decided, man, I really missed it. I got into teaching and taught here in Tallahassee for a number of years. And then the body, as it will sometimes, uh, really broke down. It was hard to do that. And I was fortunate enough to um, to land a job with the national governing body of tennis. So I've, I've had an interesting career with USDA. I've been with them for about 15 years, been through many, uh, been in charge of many programs throughout the years, but it's been, been a wonderful opportunity, learned a lot, seen a lot. Mm. What do you do exactly? What are your roles and responsibilities in terms of program education? Right. Um, I am with I'm in the community tennis end of the United States Tennis Association. So we deal with bringing people into the game, both youth and and adults. So in program education, I'm involved in um, developing career, both curriculum. We have a whole net generation is the uh, overall youth brand for um for USTA, I'm primarily involved on the on the youth end, but do some education and, and adult. So we develop curriculum, and then we have training that we take out to folks who want to uh, learn how to be comparable to if you're going to coach little league baseball or flag football. Those those types of, of parents volunteers, we have live training that we. Um, that we present to them. So we train trainers to go out and do that. And then overall, the education that goes along with how do I run a program? What is this program? What are the steps? Uh, how do you recruit volunteers? Those types of things. We develop resources and then attempt to get those out throughout the our what we have our sections throughout USTA. So is it possible for somebody me just as a, a normal a normal person out in the community have kids is it possible for me to coach tennis without having usta certification absolutely and um usta does not we don't certify people okay. there are two teaching organizations um uspta and ptr that are certifying organization the usta is a national governing body we are we accredit teaching organizations. But with that said, there is like every other sport, there are those on the ground, those volunteers that we would love to teach them how to introduce beginners to the game of tennis. When, when someone uh, moves beyond what 
you know, a volunteer coach can do, we absolutely want them to get involved with a, uh, with a certified professional who knows the ins and outs of, of how to teach different strokes, different strategies, and different tactics. But the beginning level, absolutely, someone can introduce the game of tennis. So the, the challenge, I think, for many sports is that it's competitive, not necessarily within the sport, but sports compete with each other for the same number of people who can play. And so tennis would compete against you know, many other recreational sports out there for participation. And that's a challenge for USTA as it is for any sport. How do you, how do you kind of promote the, the programming out in the community to ensure that USTA is relevant and tennis courts don't sit empty, et cetera? That's, that's a great question and something that we constantly deal with and, and try and figure out the best ways to, to approach it. Um, tennis has a has some advantages and disadvantages. The advantages, you can play it anytime. You can play it as a family. Um, it some people may think it's it's expensive, but it's really a relatively inexpensive. You can go down to Target, Walmart, uh, Sports um, Academy Sports. You can get a racket. You can get balls. You can go out to your public courts and play. Mm-hmm. Um, we aren't recognized as for the for a parent who's getting their children involved in sports. Okay, now it's basketball season, and then it's soccer season, and then it's baseball, and then it's football. So it's like, where do we fit in tennis? Right. So we've attempted at times to insert ourselves into into that rotation for for parents, but you you can play it any time of the year. The other thing we've tried to do is is uh, get people thinking that because of the new equipment that's available, that's, that's appropriate for children at every age and stage, that we want children to play as quickly as possible, like they do with other youth sports, as opposed to getting stuck into, into the only thing you can do are lessons and clinics. We want children to play. So it's, it's important for us to provide opportunities like a, a, a junior league that people can play in or drop-in type of events where children can come out and, and just try playing. It's not going to look very pretty, but, you know, you've, I'm sure you've seen this too, Tim, at uh, T-ball is not that pretty either. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot of craziness and children leave there going, I played baseball. So that's what we need to do with tennis. Hmm. Well, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Ann Davis, part of the United States uh, Tennis Association. If you have questions for her about development of tennis and uh, leagues, participation, volunteers, coaches, so on, be sure to get them in your chat box and we'll pass them on to her. And when we when we look at coach development, it's it's an important topic for me, obviously, for for what I do. How does the USCA develop coaches, not necessarily at the elite level where, you know, Roger Federer has his coach, but, but more at the community level where if I'm driving past tennis courts, the, the coaches there know what they're doing. They know how to coach and they know how to do it safely. What does USTA do um, to, to make sure that that happens? 
the USTA has, has recently gotten very involved in that end. We've always been involved, especially on the player development end, where they do a lot of work with the coaches who are working with tournament level players, professional players, collegiate players, those the much more experienced. But USTA is working very closely with the two teaching, certifying teaching organizations to try and raise the level of, of coaches. It's, it has, in the United States, it's been very easy to become certified. Um, and then we rely on that coach to continue their professional development, which life gets in the way. And, and if I'm taking time away from making money on the court to do professional development, I've got to weigh that. So we're trying to, to up the standards. There are programs, there are professional tennis management programs that are within colleges and universities now that someone can go and major in, in tennis and, and learn the, the business part of it. So we're working very hard, as I said, with the organizations to, to up the requirement to fully become sat, certified. And then we need to, to it becomes incumbent on, um, those who have the parks and recs programs, the, the clubs, that they only have certified professionals. Do you help with help? Do you help with teaching the clubs and the organizations to promote the sport? The reason I ask is is I've been involved in a couple of tennis clubs over my life, and and some are very successful, and some are less so. And it's almost expected that, you know, if we build it, they'll come rather than we need to go out and recruit people and promote our sport and be visible in the community, provide um, free clinics and things like that to expose people to this sport. Is that part of what you actually do as, as your job? Yes. And there, there are many people at USTA who are involved in that. We have a, um, probably a unique structure where we are at the national level and then all over the country, we have these 17 sections. So if you're living here in Florida, you're under the Florida section. Mm -hmm. So we produce um, resources and then have them filter down and work with the section state and sometimes even the district staff or the local communities. Tallahassee has a wonderful um, community tennis association. So you work with those groups we provide the education. Here's what it looks like. Um, here's how you can help promote. And then the, the sections and districts are more involved with that one-on-one -on -one touch point with a facility to say, hey, is there anything we can help you with? Now, looking kind of a little bit more at just providing this education in general, what are some of the challenges that you've seen working in your position that that reflect maybe some of the challenges of the community or of tennis where i'm thinking for example of educating volunteer coaches in my experience has always been a challenge for me is it something you experience or what are other challenges do you see it, it absolutely is a challenge and um you know i think for all youth sports there we need to do a better job in providing education for those that are working at that beginning level for youth, because that can, that can make or break it. You know, we, so many children leave youth sports 
um, by the time they're they're 12 or 13 because they haven't had a good experience. Yeah. So that so that first coach that they're involved with is is critical, and and we need to give them the skills. And yes, it's about the the specific sports skills, but it's also about how do you communicate with children? How do you make it fun? Yeah. Um, they're going to, they're going to remember the coach more so than, than what the, what the skill was. So if you provide a fun experience and I go, man, I really like baseball or tennis or basketball. I think I want to keep playing. So it's critically important. And it becomes a, a, to me, it becomes kind of a time thing. Um, one to convince say a parent that, Hey, we need you to coach this team or, um, you know, get involved in this, in this clinic. And they're like, Oh man, I, I can't do that. And well, yes, you can. And we'll, we'll give you the, uh, the training. So it becomes a, a, a time thing that, yeah, we want you to do this. And Oh, by the way, we need you to do a three hour training. And mm. very importantly, we need you to uh, get background check, which requires another hour and a half of study. Yeah. And, and also we add in, we start to add in some costs as well because we need to pay for these resources and that, that adds to the challenge from a, from a top level view, a uh, bird's eye view of, of where you sit and, and look at tennis and, and coaching education in general. Is there anything that you would, you would change about how the system works in its current form? Oh, absolutely. Did it be better? That, yeah, that, it, that it be mandatory at every level and that there are standards. Um, you know, I, I think that the, our, our volunteer coaches, they want to do, they want to do the best job possible. And if you, if it's just something, this is what you need to do, and this is going to help you do a better job, I think people would do it. You know, with, with the um, situation we're in now with COVID-19, it's, it's made us relook at the, the value and the opportunities that might be available to do online training. We had talked about this before we came on air. So we need to look at those types of things. But I think it's, it's in all youth sports, it's got to be a requirement. Just switching a little bit, and I agree wholly with you on that topic. And I think we we should also recognize that specific things when should be in each level, regardless of the level being coached. You know, ethics doesn't change depending on who you coach. It yes. could be a, a four year old or or a forty year old. Changing a little bit and looking at tennis as a whole, we see this continual discussion about sports specialization and you know, it goes across sports, but in tennis, if you read the biographies, the, the Andre Agassi's, the, the Maria Sharapova's and, and so on, you'll see a lot of them began competing when they were very young and they almost played tennis exclusively. Now I'll also point out that both Agassi and both Sharapova had some significant injuries as they, they went into their careers. What are you seeing in tennis? You know, we're still seeing young uh, American players being successful as 16, 17 year olds on the professional tour is, is that something that inspires parents to really push their kids into sports specialization? And what are your thoughts on that? 
since I'm a huge fan of multi-sport participation and, mm -hmm. uh, and USTA is promoting that significantly um, with our uh, American development model. And it's, yeah. it's interesting because all national governing bodies are doing that right now. And while, yes, there were the Agassiz, the Sharapovas, uh, the Jennifer Capriotis, there's also Rafael Nadal, there's Roger Federer, there's Justine Hennan, um, Coco Gauff played other sports up until recently, even though she's very young. So we've also got a, a history of players who played other sports up until about 13 or 14 and then decided to specialize. So I... I Boy, if I could be uh, the leader of, of sports for a day, I would I would say that the children have to play different sports because it's just it's better for them. And, and the, the question becomes, how do we educate parents so that they they recognize that playing other sports is actually going to help their child and to be OK with it? Because I think you get in, they get into this rat race, like, oh man, if I have a, if I have them play tennis or basketball, they're going to lose ground from their friends who are on the travel soccer team. So you just get into the, on this hamster wheel and how do you get off? Tim, I can't hear you. My apologies. There okay. we go. Uh, I, I was just while you were talking, I was pulling out uh, a link. If you're interested in the athlete development model, the USTA has put together, you can go to this site. You can also just Google athlete development model USTA and this will come up and provide you with a systematic breakdown of, of how it should look for athletes to kind of progress through the years and be successful. Um, unfortunately, though, and the reality is, is that the most parents look at a at Coco and say, well, look how young she is. She must have started when she was four and played that continually. If, if I don't do that with my Jane, we're going to fall behind. It's, it's a challenge. And I think um, not only tennis, but other sports are doing, doing more and more to educate parents on one, what is the athletic development thing you're talking about mm -hmm. and introducing multi-sports within our own training. Can you um, give an example? Um, we do some some activities where uh, we might use tennis, but some of the skills that you would use in in others to 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 do games, a hockey, tennis, or uh, okay. tennis, baseball, or uh, tennis, soccer, those types of things, and incorporate those skills that that other sports can help with, or even going, there are many, many programs that will have, um, you know, the, the most traditional would be um, golf, swim, and tennis, but to have a, a hockey tennis uh, program and, uh, and to really encourage that, but we've got to do a better job of educating so that it's okay. And I'll say there, you know, there've been a lot of, um, a lot of articles recently about both the Olympics and some major college football programs that really look at what other sports did those players play besides just focusing on, on this one. And if you look at lists of 
of Olympic athletes, you know, so many of them are multi-sport mm-hmm. athletes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and even in the NFL draft, I think the statistics are about 95% of first-round picks played more than one sport in high school. Absolutely. I mean, it's going to take a big reality check. You don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but the, the I mean, it's hard enough to get a college scholarship in in the sports if there's going to be money spent someone might be better spending that money on tutors for their children to receive financial aid to go to college as opposed to putting all the eggs in the um in the sports basket and it's and that's just that's i want to sit in the stands and watch watch my son and daughter and get all the the credit right i uh, mean uh, there's (laughs) and, and you know it's Parents want to do, they want to do what's right. And I've spoken with so many parents that they hate the the travel this and the travel that, but they don't know how to get out of it. And the children love it because it's social. You know, that's, that's the big thing. It's going to be interesting to see with the, uh, the situation we're in now where, where people are potentially reluctant to travel what happens to to travel teams um, to the idea of traveling to go play a tournament that it will will sports become more local um, and I mean that's I hope well and I, I think in this era tennis and, and a lot of outdoor sports lend themselves to fitting into this new environment where you're on the other side of a net you're not interacting with somebody with, with physical contact there's definitely a uh, an argument that, that tennis could thrive in this kind of environment. That that is what we're hoping that we can we can step in and provide that um, that opportunity for people to get out and get exercise because it it can be done safely. You need to follow um, procedures and and protocol. And we have I mentioned the tennis industry united. USTA and other organizations have provided a lot of um, tips on what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Six feet apart, changing sides on, on different ends of the court. Um, probably the, the toughest one for people to, to wrap their head around is, um, is the use of tennis balls and only coming in contact with the tennis balls that you're serving with or hitting. And that's, that's the, that's probably the most challenging one, but there are signs and tips and all types of things for people who are interested. Well, I'll, I'll give you one. I was doing the, the USTA official certification and the end of the match is identified with a handshake. Yes. Now we have to rewrite the rules because we don't want handshakes. So you, it, there's a lot of variables that are going on right now. Uh, and it's an opportunity to get creative, both with children and players. There have been um, one or two uh, professional events that have been done that have been been on TV. Tennis Channel did one. It was the UTR reopen, and they had four players playing. In fact, this weekend they have four women playing in a private court. But their their handshake became their two rackets touching at the at the end. So. I think I think this is an opportunity for everybody to become very creative in mm-hmm. what we do and how we present sports. Mm-hmm. 
I want to segue a little bit. You mentioned college and one of the things that has become apparent in the U.S. is the number of international players coming over into the U.S. universities. And when we look at coach education, which is what you do, you know, your success or failure might be judged on how successful U.S. players are transitioning out of juniors and becoming successful collegiate athletes and professionals. That's not necessarily a good way of judging it, but the general population might be, well, how many pros do we have? How many, you know, U.S. tennis players do we have with scholarships? If we don't have many, the system's failing. We need to redo all this. What are your thoughts on that? Because it's it's definitely changed over the last 10, 15 years. Absolutely. It, it's, it's very complicated. Um, and when when I was coaching way back, um, it was it was just beginning where foreign athletes were were coming in. I I played college tennis with three or four um, tennis players from from other countries, and when I was coaching, we had uh, three or four. It's just just starting. And from a coaching standpoint, if you're if you're not the top school and for whatever reason are not able to get the top recruits, yet your ex- the expectation is you need to be successful as a coach, then I'm going to look for the best player. Right. Um, it, it is, I, I wish that we could give every U.S. Pl- junior tennis player a tennis scholarship and the reality is because of where college sports is and the emphasis is probably more on, on winning than let's the development of, of players, you're going to go for the best player. And that's, yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think until, until someone puts a limit on it, it's not, it's not going to end. My experience also with foreign athletes is that they were the, oppor- the, the opportunity for them to play a sport and study was they had hit the lottery and they were all they were very, very appreciative of that opportunity. So I've always I always had the best experience with uh, with athletes from other countries. Um, but again, you know, there, the, the reality is there are a lot of scholarships out there that go unused. It may not be, I may not be able to go to Florida State or Florida or the University of Miami, but I could go to a, 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 a D2, a D3 school and, and play. So, you know, there are a lot of factors in there. Yeah, and I, I think as well, we forget what the purpose is of a sports organization, which is not, you know, while, while the elite is important, so too are the, the participation numbers at the junior level all the way up through the seniors. And and sometimes if we look at the athlete development model, long-term athlete development model, we'll see that that high performance is just a small component of that. And, but it's what the the general population focus on rather than, look at how many kids are engaged in this sport outside being physically active or, or even adults look at, look at our leagues that we have in the community. Absolutely. And that's, you've got to, um, you've got to make the base larger one 
to to have people that move up that pyramid and become those those professional players but the reality is you and I the recreational players um, those that are just starting and and buying the rackets and buying the tennis balls that's the lifeblood of the sport those who are paying for tickets to go to go watch the US Open or or the Atlanta or going to the Tallahassee Challenger or going out to see FSU men's and women's tennis. That's that's the lifeblood of the sport. If if just to, to wrap up, if you're if you're looking at coaching education and your experiences as a coach and, and working with coaches for so many years, what advice do you have for those who are looking to either become coaches or or move up as coaches and become more um, more professional, um, more more visible? engage more people, grow their business. What would you say to them? Uh, my two things. One, keep learning. It's so important to, to keep up with what's going on and to make yourself better. Uh, the other big thing and one and what we focus on with the education we do for people coming into the sport, concentrate on the how, the, the what, it, that's almost a little easier to get the what to coach, but concentrate on the how to coach and how to connect with people and, and how to make it, make it fun and, and make it something they want to continue. Well, and if somebody does have a question for you, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Uh, my email is davis at usta.com and would love to um, communicate with people, point them in the right direction, how they can how they can get started. Well, I want to say thank you for sharing your time and, and expertise and knowledge with us. And I, I hope it benefits those who are watching now or, or in the future. Yeah. I really do want to say thank you. Thank you very much for this opportunity. It's fun. Just a reminder coming up this week, we have three more guests. John Casson is coming up tomorrow. He's an Olympic snowboard coach, has coached a, a variety of Olympians across winter sports. He's now in working with mountain biking as well. So we'll talk to him tomorrow. And then Friday, we have two guests starting at 11 a.m. Chris Babb, he's the college director for sport media and is a former high school athletic director. So we'll talk about his role in high school athletics and then what he does now. And then uh, another guest coming up, 2.30 p.m., Charlie Ward. Some of you may know who he is, Heisman winner, left football and went into the NBA and was a successful NBA athlete and is now a head basketball coach at Florida High. So hope you join us for those. On behalf of myself, though, and Ann Davis, thank you for watching.